Hi, welcome to another episode of the Wildlife For You podcast. I promised not to tell you about the fun my technologically challenged co-host can be, so instead I'll tell you that this is the show where we talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I'm joined here my, by my bestest, bestest bud and my most favorite, though sometimes not tech-savvy, co-host, <laughs> Daryl Ratajak. So, D, after that epic and honest intro, should we just jump right into today's podcast and start with uh, maybe you telling us what we're going to be talking about? No, no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, even no, because you got to explain what, what's going on here because you're leaving everyone in the dark. What, what, what's this technologically challenged co-host part? Daryl doesn't know how to reboot his phone or <laughs> how to troubleshoot Bluetooth issues. I, I think I might no longer sign up to do those those Apple phone promos because it's really let me down here lately. So <sighs> anyway, so no, you're not you're not gonna just tell us what we're gonna talk about. Nope. No. I I was <laughs> I was actually kind of hoping to tell you a joke to start things off. Uh, you really want to start today's episode with a joke? I do. I really, really do. Fine. Go ahead. Okay. You're going to like this one, Steph. I promise. It's going to start out like the everyday average joke. So you have two guys. They're sitting on a porch, kicking back, enjoying a couple of cold ones. And the two guys are sitting there and enjoying life. And they look over. And they see this dog sitting there, and that dog is going to town licking his... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Seriously? Do you really want to continue and tell this joke on air? Uh, should I not? Uh, no, you should not. Oh my gosh, that just ruined everything. You are <laughs> absolutely no fun, woman. So how the heck am I supposed to maintain my comedic value in this show if you don't even let me be funny? I think we're going to have to reevaluate your role on this podcast if you're going to resort to telling bad jokes. Uh, hey, hey, I'm going to stop you there because how do you even know it was a bad joke if you didn't even let me finish it? Uh, let's just say that I have impeccable intuition when it comes to knowing your jokes. Now that the crisis has been averted, though, can we please get on with today's podcast? <sighs> if we must. <laughs> I swear, though, you are sounding more and more like my mom these days. Well, I'm actually going to take that as a compliment since I'm sure your mom was a great, great woman. So now, what is today's topic? All right. Well, truthfully, today's topic stinks. Well, how are we supposed to know that if you don't even tell us what it is? <laughs> I'm serious here. We are going to be talking about mephitis, which is spelled M-E-P-H-I-T-I-S. And according to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary... It's defined, mephitis is defined, it's an actual word, believe it or not, but mephitis is defined as a noxious or foul-smelling gas or vapor. Okay, I see where you're going with this, besides, you know, that might actually be a good name for my next boring cat. But anyway, so something that smells really, really bad is defined as mephitis. Therefore, it stands to reason that the animal with the scientific name mephitis mephitis can only refer to one animal. Yes, my dear. It refers to the skunk. So we're going to be talking about skunks today. Good, good topic. And I think I'm going to enjoy this one. I 
absolutely adore our species episodes. Anyway, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what a skunk's, uh, what, the, what they look like and their notorious defense mechanism. But I am also sure that we can dig up a few more things that'll actually surprise a few people and, you know, lead to people being more knowledgeable about wildlife, which is the whole goal of this show. So let's go ahead and get sciency and talk about skunks. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start out by clarifying some things right off the bat. So we, we started talking about skunks as if there's only one species of skunks. But believe it or not, here in North America, Steph, we actually have five different species of skunks. And I'm, I'm talking species, not just subspecies, because y'all know how much I hate the confusion that subspecies cause. So let me quiz you here, Steph. Can you name the five different species of skunk that we have here in North America? Well, let me see. So let's start with the skunk species that everybody knows and loves, the striped skunk, like I just said, Mephitis, Mephitis. I think everyone is familiar with that species, but from here it gets a little less conspicuous because a couple of these skunks either have very small ranges in the United States or as in the case with spotted skunks, both the Eastern and the Western species, they're found throughout most of the lower 48, but they're really obscure and not readily seen. Now, some people may not even know that there is such a thing as a spotted skunk. And to get all geeky on you, the Western and Eastern spotted skunks are the Spilagale gracilis and I think the Spilagale putorius, respectively. Um, interbreeding between those two species, and interbreeding for the record is how we determine if they're subspecies or species. Interbreeding between these two species has never been disproven. So this could very well be a case for actually just having one species. But for now, um, they are classified as two different species. Anyhow, moving on. If I recall correctly, the last two species of skunk um, are found more in your neck of the woods, Dee. And, and they have a lot smaller geographic range. So I might need a little help on these. Um, I think one is the hooded skunk. And I will be darned if I can remember the Latin name. Well, I'm actually pleased you remembered the hooded skunk. And just so you know, that is Mephitis macrora. Okay. And then, and the last skunk, um, crap, let me think. You want to, uh, you want a hint on this one? Because no one, no one ever remembers this one. Uh, yeah, just a little one now. All right, here it goes. <laughs> what the heck was that? You sound like a pig. Oh, oh, never mind. It's a hog nose skunk. <laughs> you got, I am so proud of you. I, that was a heck of a good hint though, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a good hint. I know. So anyway, that, that last one, that hognose skunk, which not many people even heard of before, that scientific name is Conopatis leuconotis. Okay. Well, I, I couldn't have gotten it. Um, I couldn't have remembered that last one if it wasn't for your help. And I'm actually amazed at how fluent you are as a pig. <laughs> hey, what could I say? It just comes naturally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, wrapping up your quiz, you, you did awesome on it, Steph. So currently, there are five different species of skunks found in North America. Now, the reason I say currently is because research is constantly being conducted on the relationships these skunks have to each other. And as you know, as well as I, genetic works is sometimes changing our understanding of things. For example, if 
if you're the everyday Joe and you simply Googled skunks in North America, you are liable to get quite a few different answers. In fact, I did that test beforehand and and some people, some organizations say this, some say that, but anyway, there are some sites out there that will say there's four species of skunks. Some sites will say six. Some some will say that they're, they're all different subspecies, while some sites will say they're completely different species. Anyway, what this boils down to, it, it all depends on the source of your information. And we're always stressing this. We cannot stress enough on this show that you should always go with credible sources, such as universities or colleges, or if, if, if there's no universities or colleges, go with state or federal government agency websites. Yeah. So in other words, don't go with like, you know, Jordan's outdoor blog about all things wild. You know, although Jordan may in fact be correct, sometimes he might be, you know, blowing a whole bunch of smoke. You know, those other sources that Daryl mentioned are not likely to be blowing you a bunch of smoke at any time. And by the way, there is no Jordan outdoor blog that I was actually referencing. I made that up. So my apologies to all the Jordans out there that run their own outdoor blog. <laughs> and believe it or not, folks, and I'm going to touch back on this because Stephanie said Jordan might be blowing smoke. And again, there is no Jordan out there, but a lot of these websites might be blowing smoke. I sent uh, Stephanie an article Oh, about a week ago, and it listed the 10 most dangerous species in the Smoky Mountains. And what did it list as the number two most dangerous species? <laughs> the cougar, which the mountain lion, which yeah. doesn't exist in the east outside of the pocket population of Florida. Yes. And, and so you can get a lot of bad information on those websites. And you'll soon find out, you'll soon find out with a very near future podcast that you get a lot of bad information on television as well. Anyway, yeah, and ironically, I actually when you sent me that because you were like, check this out. So I I clicked the link. I started scrolling. I saw the cougars because I thought that when I skimmed past the title that it said something about the you know top ten most deadly animals in the Smokies, and in my head, as soon as I saw cougars listed as the number two thing on here, because it, it looked like a at, at glance it was a very professionally done blogging area you know website. I thought for sure. I misread it. It says Rockies and I just missed that. I, you know, read what I wanted to read and scroll back up and I'm like, nope, sure as anything. It See, says Smokies and we don't have those. We're so going on a tangent, but that wouldn't, I would have been alarmed simply if they list cougars as being dangerous because there's so few and far between incidences with cougars. I'd put like bees and mosquitoes as being way more dangerous. Anyway, okay, let's get back to skunks. Nope, How about that? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. So, well, you know. How, how, do, how do you want to move forward with this skunk talk? Well, I was going to say, since the hog nose and the hooded skunks are pretty, pretty limited in their range, um, which, by the way, is in the southwestern portion of the United States, I really was thinking we shouldn't focus on those. I will tell everyone, though, that if they want to see absolutely gorgeous skunks, to research those, especially the hooded. Just do a a quick web search for you know and look at images sometimes they have like amazing colorations with lots of white showing but the other two skunks um you know that we, we briefly mentioned are the eastern and the western spotted skunks and boy d if i to be honest with you if i had to choose my favorite looking skunk 
it would for sure be the spotted skunks. They are absolutely gorgeous. Um, and again, I would highly encourage anyone listening that has not seen a spotted skunk because the, you don't really see them in the wild to look up pictures of them on the web because they're fantastic. Given their spotted coats, they are among the prettiest of all skunks. Um, and again, spotted skunks, they are found pretty much all over North America in the lower 48, but they are rarely seen. Um, for one, it's because they're much more nocturnal than their striped skunk cousin. Um, but it's also primarily because their numbers are so much lower than that cousin as well. And actually, as much as I hate to report this, Dee, and I, I, I assume that you know this, but I'm sure our listeners don't, many state agencies are actually asking for confirmed photos of spotted skunks because there's actually growing concern over their numbers. Yes, I actually did know that. We, we were actively seeking confirmations or documentation of the spotted skunks because like you said they, they are beautiful but we're just getting worried because we're not seeing them as much as we used to so all right that leaves us to talk about the most ubiquitous and well-known skunk of all five skunk species and that is the striped skunk and that is the one that has that latin name mephitis mephitis also translated as the stinky one, or actually the really, really stinky one, because they list Mephitis twice. By the way, before we start going into detail on the striped skunk, I should mention that all five of the skunks that we just previously talked about, they'll have very similar behavioral and ecological characteristics or, or niches. And so, okay, Steph, this is where I always call on you to shine. Can I ask you to please paint us that oh-so-beautiful picture that you always do and describe to our listeners the, the basic physical characteristics of a striped skunk? You need to cut it out. You always put so much pressure on me, D. <laughs> hey, let's just say I have that much faith in you. Well, here's to not letting you down then. Okay, folks, so I'm pretty sure most of you have a general idea of what the skunk looks like, especially if you grew up in the era of Pepe Le Pew. Um, but let's put some more detail into that, that description. Striped skunks have black fur with a white stripe that starts on the head, and it generally forks into two stripes down the sides of the back. And the stripes usually join um, back together again near the base of the tail. There's also a stripe that goes from the snout to the forehead. Um, and I will say from seeing a blue billion skunks, it's not always the, that, that's the picture perfect skunk. A lot of times you're gonna see a skunk with what looks like a big big line down its back. You might see others that you're like, oh my gosh, did he even have a line down its back? So the, the size of those white stripes is variable. Um, striped skunks, they, they have a really small head um, and this is probably actually all skunks. They have a, a really small head and small ears with these short little legs and this really long bushy tail. Um, they're what we call a, a miso predator. In other words, it's a medium sized critter that will eat pretty much everything that it encounters. And the best size reference that I can probably give you if you've never actually seen a skunk in real life. Is, so they're usually about the size of the average domestic cat. So they're usually about 18 to 30 inches in length, and they weigh in anywhere from around four to up to probably around 10 pounds. Anyway, like I said, I, I am actually pretty sure that most people know what a striped skunk looks like. Well, that was pretty awesome. You did not let me down. So if, they, if no one out there knew what a skunk, like, a skunk looked like, I feel sorry for you, but at least they do now. So nice description. So, okay. 
we do these species podcasts all or species episodes all the time. You, you've got me so cogniz cognizant of that now. Uh, tell us a little bit about the ecological characteristics, as in what niche do they fill in nature? Um, well, like I just mentioned, they're considered mesopredators. So in other words, they're medium-sized omnivores that pretty much, you know, eat everything in their path. Omnivores meaning not just meat, not just veggies. Um, and when I say everything in their path, mm, almost everything, you know, they're obviously not going to eat anything bigger than than themselves. But for the most part, their diet's going to include things like vegetable matter, like apples, blueberries, black cherries, corn, you know, things of that like that. But having said that, their main diet is typically insectivorous, meaning that they love gorging on my least favorite critters, bugs. Um, the most frequently consumed insects that skunks will prefer are like grasshoppers, beetles, crickets, caterpillars, bees, and other insect larvae. I guess they like the juicy stuff. Um, but then again, they do also eat other invertebrates, including like worms and crayfish. But in the winter and in the early spring, when plant life and insect life is really hard to come by, the striped skunk is going to supplement its diet with vertebrates like uh, a white-footed mice or white, uh, a white-footed mice uh, as the white-footed mice, voles, eggs, and the chicks of ground nesting birds as well. So they're also known to consume things like amphibians, reptiles, fish, even carrion. Carrion meaning dead things. Yes, yes. So these little buggers are like little environmental cleaner uppers, so to speak, and they have a pretty open diet. Yes, they, they are pretty awesome in that regard. And if, if I could add something in here, we quite often on other episodes mention mention this fact that there, there's always this large contingency of folks out there that are worried about ground nesting birds. And what I mean, what I mean by ground nesting birds are birds such as quail and grouse and, and heck, even turkeys. And all of those birds, those ground nesting birds, many of them have been seeing some kind of decline in their numbers of late. And people are trying to point the finger at something. And, and oftentimes they they try to point the finger at a common predator. Oftentimes they point the finger at one of the most hated animals and I still don't understand the hate, but they point the finger at coyotes and say, coyotes are eating all the, all the, the eggs and turkey nests or quail nests. Uh, a lot of times they'll even blame bobcats and you know as well as they'll even blame opossums for being these major nest predators of these ground nesting birds. And, Truth be told, Steph, skunks are one of the biggest culprits when it comes to ground nesting egg predation. So, whereas a lot Wait, of- hold on. No, I got to bust in here though, because I don't want to paint skunks with yet another, you know, air quotes, another bad, yes. bad thing. It's not just one thing. It's lots of things. And don't forget it also is ecological factors like local climate. So, yeah, but the point I'm getting at, yeah, and I'm not saying skunks are responsible for any kind of decline. Heck, if you look at um, which critters are the worst, I think snakes are you up there. They, they all play a role. That's what I'm getting at with this ecological niche. They're all connected. But where I'm getting at is a lot of those other animals, like the, the coyotes, the bobcats, even the opossums, um, they'll definitely prey on, uh, on a nest full of eggs if they stumble upon one. 
but they don't typically go seeking them out. So skunks, on the other hand, they are notorious. They, they evolve and they change their diet and they literally seek out nests when, whenever those nests are most likely to be on the ground. So we, we do know for a fact that skunks are a major nest predator, but they are not the only thing causing decline in any of these, these species here. So anyway, since I'm, I mentioned opossums, I know that lots of animals like eating opossums. So same size animal, can the same be said for skunks? Um, well, that is a great segue to talk about, and I'm sorry, I'm not a being a mouth breather. My dog has decided he wants to sit here with me. Um, that is a great segue to talk about the most well-known aspects uh, about skunks. Um, I, I, you know, the, which is their defense mechanism. Um, and I say that because possums also have a really interesting defense defense mechanism, but you know what, do, do possums get like chowed down on by skunks? You know, not that I'm aware of. I'll just say that. Cause I think you actually, your, your last question, you asked me if other, you know, since other, every other thing seems to like eating possums, just skunks like eating possums. Is that what you were asking me? No, no. I'm Since everything likes eating opossums and skunks are the same size as opossums. Do, gotcha. Do okay. animals like e eating skunks? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, you know, clarity in question probably would have been better so uh, that that's a much easier question to answer because I'm like what is he asking um no no and that that thing I was talking about how possums have a really interesting defense me mechanism almost as well known as the skunk's defense mechanism um that that might have something to to play and why they are not a common food source. I would say they're a less common food source. And I, I honestly don't think that I need to explain to everybody how well known it is that skunks can emit the most hideous eye-watering puke inducing scent from their anal glands. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Aren't you going a little bit too far here? What I mean by too far is the this hideous eye-watering puke-inducing statement. Because as a hunter, a long time ago, I used to use the skunk smell. You could actually buy the skunk um, odor <laughs> as a cover scent for when you go hunting. Like if you don't want, if you don't want other animals to detect a human presence, you can put a cover scent on. And I used to dab a little, not, not behind my ears, but on my boots <laughs> to cover up my scent. So yes, skunks have a very distinctive smell, but truth be told, there's some people out there that, I don't, I don't want to say they like it, but they kind of don't mind it, me being one of them. That faint skunk smell that you sometimes detect off in the distance or when you're driving your car, it kind of reminds me of being in the outdoors. But that's the key, D. You said that faint, often the distance smell. Do you have any idea how powerful the skunk smell really is? No, but I have the sinking feeling you're about to tell me. How <laughs> did you know? Um, because I, I've been waiting for this part all along, actually. And I promise it'll be the very best part of our skunk talk. Because this is where I get to go all geeky science on you. Ooh, you're turning me on now. <laughs> uh, cool it down over there, Peppy. Um, so this this is for our listeners anyway. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about that famous skunk smell. 
So let me start by saying much of what we know about the chemical composition of skunk juice comes from studies by a guy named Dr. William Wood from Humboldt University. I got to, I got to, you said skunk juice. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as I was saying, Dr. Wood, a, a chemist um, was investigating the chemicals that make skunk juice, or I should say skunk musk so that I don't trigger Daryl's giggle button. Um, he was dabbling in the chemicals that make the musk so smelly. <laughs> um, the active chemicals that do just that are called thiols. And thiols are like they're the sulfur analog of what alcohol is. That is sulfur takes the place of oxygen in the hydroxyl group of an alcohol. And that word is a blend of thio with alcohol. So this is actually derived from like the Greek Word meaning sulfur. Just uh, hey, just so you know, you are getting super geeky right now. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, so many of those thiols have really strong odors that resemble something like garlic or rotten eggs. <laughs> and I hear Bandit panting over, <laughs> panting over. The, so hopefully, Bandit won't work, let one loose and <laughs> release <laughs> release some thiols on you. <laughs> I'm gonna jump in here on you for just a second. Uh, when I was young, I, I don't know if it was my dad who told me this or if I read it somewhere, but I was always told that the skunk smell comes from a chemical called mercaptan. Um, what is that? Was that wrong that I heard? No, believe it or not, your dad or whoever it was, was not wrong. Mercaptan is simply another name for thiol. Um, it comes from methanethyl. So that's also known as a methyl mercaptan. So no, they weren't wrong, but it's a colorless gas with a very distinctive putrid smell. It's a natural substance. It's found in the blood, in the brain, and wait to see where I'm going with this, the feces of animals, including humans. Um, and it's one of the chemical compounds responsible for the really like the bad breath and the smell of flatus. Shall I define flatus for you, sir? <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I'm very aware of that word. <laughs> hey, you remember all my college stories? <laughs> And for those of you listening that may not know what flatus is, it is usually what comes after all of those, uh, how would you say, pull my finger jokes. <laughs> and if you're still not following along, it's what Stephanie did on her hike when she was stepping over the log in Yellowstone. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a fart. <laughs> that, okay, so D, again, <laughs> I swear to, to all that was holy, and I swear on my dog, that that was not me. And just so you know, flatus is not the actual fart. That's called flatulence. Um, flatus is, is actually the gas that's emitted during flatulence. So now you can better understand the art of the fart. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sitting here giggling, <laughs> not believing that we're actually talking about farts on this podcast. Yeah, you know, you're, I, I think we're both kind of like little kids sometimes, but you know, it totally makes sense because the chemicals within the fart gas are thiols, the same chemicals that are in skunk juice. But here's the thing, that skunk musk is so much more complicated. So the first thing I wanted to do though, was to make everyone aware of and understand how putrid these chemicals actually are. I think your reference to your college days might have helped <laughs> us to do that. Um, but there's a few other things that Dr. Wood discovered in his analysis of skunk musk. And just so you know, Dr. Wood chose to anesthetize a local striped North American skunk and all in the name of beloved research, he decided to suck out the, and, and secrete 
the secretions from its anal glands with a hypodermic syringe. So in other words, he did not use some synthetically engineered chemical that mimicked skunk musk when he was doing his research. He, he legit used skunk musk. Talk about, I imagine for a chemist, that had to be one delicate job there. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but his study actually gets better. So forgive me for a second, because I am going to read some of the findings because I don't want to get it wrong. Okay. So Wood analyzed samples of musk taken from two male and two female skunks. He separated the secretions using a gas chrom uh, chromatograph in which the vapor of the musk was passed through a capillary tube that was coated with a silicone oil and he heated it to 250 degrees Celsius. So the separated components then, they were identified by a mass spectrometer, which measures the relative molecular mass. And as they emerge from the, the gas from the chromatograph, that's when they, all of that bit happens. So he was surprised though, to discover that the musk was quite different from what was described in like other scientific literature that he had referenced. Four previous analyses uh, carried out in 19, excuse me, 1896, 1945, 1975, and 1983. Those had all identified several, like, you know, six components that they had, they had not agreed upon what those were though. They just, they said, we got six things and, you know, they're taking guesses as to what they are and what they aren't would confirm that the musk contained four of the compounds that they speculated could be in there that were detected previously, but he actually disproved the existence of two others um, that had been speculated on being present, and he added a further three new ones. That is crazy complicated stuff, like way above my head, but it sounds like this skunk juice <laughs> or skunk musk is some pretty complicated potion with all these different chemicals in it. Yeah, it's like you know, it is love potion number nine right there in a skunk. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it kind of, it, I don't want to say it is the love potion, but it is very complicated. Um, but it's the physical characteristics of the chemical that make it so intriguing. The new compounds that were discovered by Dr. Wood um, are the thioacetates, um, of the, which obviously of the above thiols that we've been talking about. So Wood believes that the thioacetates are the compounds that give the skunk the ability to quite literally remind its victim of the encounter day after day for a while, because these thioacetates, they react slowly with water to release more of those strong smelling thiols, which for the record, I can vouch for this because my thick fur dog was once sprayed at a very close distance. Um, twice in the same incident. So I can, I, can, I can personally attest that these things do react slowly and release more of those strong smelling thiols over time. I might ask you again about that, but let me, let me know if I'm following correctly. So that, that complex concoction that's known as skunk juice or skunk musk, it consists of these really stinky chemicals, but along with that, it consists of kind of derivatives of those chemicals that react with water. And so in other words, when you attempt to wash it or clean it yourself, it, it simply continues to release more and more of that stinky chemical. Yes. It's like, it's like those little re-release scent packets that they try <laughs> to package and sell to go in my laundry. You know, that's pretty much it. And that's what makes this so gosh darn effective. You know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. 
So animals that come into contact with a skunk, like my bandit, not only get that initial first dose of stinkiness, but it will linger in that fur and that putrid smell will slowly be released in these like little scent packets over time as it comes into contact with water or commercial products or tomato juice, oatmeal, none of that works. But um, literally it served as a constant reminder not to mess with a skunk again. Isn't it's just mother nature is absolutely awesome because that is one butt kicking defense mechanism. Okay. So let me ask you this age old question and you briefly touched on it, but are there any home remedies? Is there any way to get rid of that skunk smell? Uh, truthfully, like I just said a second ago, nothing will clean it up, especially immediately. Um, that, that musket binds to so many different surfaces. Uh, for example, wool, uh, or in the case with most animals, their fur or cotton for the record, because you're going to want to use that cotton towel to dry off the dog. And then you discover in the joy of the laundry that it just gets worse. Anyway, it's simply reacting to the proteins with things like hair follicles, you know, and, and you can continuously wash it and wash it and wash it until it goes away. But I'm just going to say it's going to take a long, long time. Okay. Well, so tell me Steph, because I, I know a little bit about it, but you teased the audience with it. T- tell me about your adventure with your your little Anatolian shepherd there with, with his run-in with a skunk. Yeah, so, you know, we have a fenced-in backyard for him. That's his yard. And I normally, every single morning, flip on, if it's dark, flip on the outside light and do a quick visual scan to make sure that there is no small critters that have gotten into the fence area. And if they are, they generally will skitter away when the light comes on. For the record, skunks are no different. They will actually try to skitter away. Problem is, if you don't actually look outside, they're not the world's fastest little guys. I mean, like we just said, they do have pretty short legs. So I let my my 165 pounder out and he immediately charged this intruder that was in his yard and the skunk sprayed him. Uh, at very close proximity, maybe four inches. Oh, wow. And I see that the tail go up, the bandit is, is his head's down, he's fixing to bite that guy. That spray comes out of that skunk's uh, area. Bandit literally cringes back, yelps, gets pissed off because how dare that thing do that to me and tries to go for him again. So what's the skunk do? Hmm. Reload. <laughs> so he just hear it. And there it went again. And at that point, then bandit you know, immediately comes running for backup, i.e. me. So he comes running into the house. And it literally, because keep in mind where this spray is also coming from, and my dog took it at very close proximity. So he's got it all over his face and all over his chest. And Anatolians are extraordinarily triple furred. You know, they got the big bristly coat, they got the medium coat, and then they got that that down that's underneath. uh, And this stuff penetrated. So I grab a towel And I'm trying to just wipe it off of him. And the towel, when I'm done, it's a white towel. And it's got black oil all over Mm. it. That black oil was the skunk musk. So if, if, I mean, everybody just assumes it's like a perfume, really, that, you know, you could spritz it on there. And no, this (laughs) stuff is disgusting. But it quite literally was rank. So we did, we bought commercial things. When I say we, this is a Stephanie job. I got, I went and got commercial stuff after I tried the initial wash which did not help if anything made it worse. And now we know why. Thank you, thial acetates. Um, then I went and got some of that commercial skunk smell be gone stuff. Um, it didn't work. I tried the tomato juice. I tried oatmeal. I tried um, doing like vinegar uh, soaked cloths. 
you name it, I pretty much tried it. The only thing I did not try was like to, to dunk him in acid. Cause I wouldn't do that to my dog. And for six months, no lie, six months, I continued to try to constantly treat him, but I could literally pull my car into my basement garage. And when I opened the door to my car and stepped out, I could smell him in the basement from, you know, a whole story up. Hmm. It was terrible. It was terrible. But yeah, I would tell you that Bandit has learned not to mess with these animals, but I'm sure that enough time has gone by where maybe he's probably forgotten. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go on a little tangent here because I, I don't want to say I love that story you just told, but whenever people tell a story of things they remember, I, I always say when things go right, no one ever remembers it. If you have a Christmas dinner, a Thanksgiving dinner, and the meal was perfect, everyone behaved, and everything was just better than you could ever imagine, you forget about that Christmas like a week afterward. But if things go wrong, like Uncle Joe knocks the Christmas tree over or, or does something crazy, whenever things go wrong, you remember it. And so in the wildlife world, there's a lot of people that have skunk stories because getting sprayed by a skunk is when things go absolutely wrong. And it, it's going to take a, a while for that smell to, to get out of there, like you just said. So. so to add another quick story in here with the human side of this element, and my dad once, uh, he used to be um, back when I was a wee tiny kid, he was a cross country truck driver, long haul truck driver. And he came across when he was driving home um, one day, there was a skunk that had been killed at the side of the road and standing there were three baby skunks just standing by the mom, but not, you know, they obviously had not been killed by the vehicle. And my dad um, wanted to do a, a good thing. And he knew that these skunks would end up just getting killed right there. So he was like, I've heard of people having skunks as pets. I'm going to put them in my lunchbox and drive them home. And at least if nothing else, we'll get them to where they can live on their own in the wild and release them. So he was trying to do a good thing. So the little skunks, they're like, you know, they actually go into the lunchbox, no problems. My dad gets home and he goes to open up the lunchbox to show everybody. And all three of them were facing the right direction with their little tails up and they all three sprayed my father <laughs> and just for the record they do not carry as much just because the volume capacity is a little less and the, the smaller the skunk gets but still yeah my dad was unbearable for weeks so so are you going to start a rumor that like juvenile skunks aren't aren't as deadly because they they don't they can't control their spray <laughs> no no i'm not like they can control their spread but it's kind of i know like, i'm i'm playing on that that juvenile like, snake no i i get that. i get that but in truth there is a biological reason for that and it's just because their little glands aren't quite as big as you know the adult glands yeah but yeah they can i don't think that they care they just want to spread oh my so. gosh we're gonna go on tangent i gotta tell just my own little skunk story and i swear this will be the last personal story but skunks are so awesome they they have these stories that you remember forever. When I was living in New Mexico, had wonderful neighbors, uh, Avi and Antonio, beautiful, beautiful people. And and they they had a small critter getting under their shed and they asked to borrow a have a heart trap from me because they thought it was an opossum. <laughs> well, it wasn't an opossum. And so they're like, Daryl, you gotta get over here. We caught something and you're not gonna like it. And so I went over there and they had a skunk and I wasn't prepared. Usually when you try to trap a skunk, you wanna cover the outside so they can't see you when you walk up to them. But uh, I ended up walking with this big tarp in front of me, nice and slowly, so the skunk didn't spray. I wrapped the, the cage, 
And I did get permission. You 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 have to talk to your state wildlife agency about uh, moving an animal, but we released it further down the road. Um, lo and behold, they ended up catching like three other skunks, and they were all adults. And uh, Antonio watched me handle the skunks, like wrapped in the cage, nice and gently, slow movements. You don't talk to them. You don't want to surprise them to get that that spray bursting out of there. <laughs> and um, so he's like, can I bring you the cage? I know how to do it. And I said, sure, go ahead. And I was sitting in my Jeep waiting for him to bring the cage over and it's wrapped in the tarp. <laughs> As his little feet are running over, he tripped and dropped the cage. <laughs> and I was waiting. It, it would have been it would have been the greatest thing if it just saw poof and you just saw like the gas eking out of there. But believe it or not, even though he dropped the cage, the, the skunk not knowing where the threat was because it was completely covered, he still didn't spray. But I wouldn't I wouldn't um I want to take that chance again. So don't drop a, a skunk in a cage if you're carrying it. Oh. Okay. How are we doing with time? Uh, would you believe? <laughs> I can't believe we, we're almost done with this episode because I'm looking at the time now. But you know what is the proudest thing I have here is that we, we ended up talking about farts for almost like two minutes on this show. <laughs> Only you would be happy about that. Uh, anyway, I think the last thing I want to add regarding skunks is to, it's to remind everyone that skunks really, really do serve a purpose. Sadly, there are some folks out there that think some species are not worthy of being around, and that's completely, completely untrue. It doesn't matter how vile or how stinky or how mean or how much you despise any kind of animal, they all have a purpose and they'll all help the ecosystem perform to its utmost ability. And I will say again, there are a few weirdos like me out there that actually don't mind that smell of that skunk juice as long as it's like way off in the distance. And like I said, it kind of reminds me of the outdoors. Yeah, good point. So like you just said, uh, on time, I, I don't think we're doing so well on time. No, um, we have actually done quite well in previous episodes with this but if if you if you want me to keep talking about flatulence or flatus since since you like those more technical terms no 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 i think that's probably our cue to start wrapping things up so d do you have any shout outs for this week you want to give oh you put me on the spot all the time because i never think about it. i gotta start thinking about shout outs before we we actually go to record um I am going to pass. We're we're running a little late here. So how about you, Steph? You have a shout out or two? Nope, nope, I don't. So you want me to go ahead and bring it on home? Bring it. All right. So as usual, folks, we would like to thank you for sharing some time with us. We learned something new uh, during researching for this, and I hope that you did too. So as always, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, share both of those resources with anybody you meet, even that stranger who maybe stood in one place for too long. Um, <laughs> again, knowledge is important. You know, knowledge is where it's at. So of course, you need to remember that when it comes to wildlife, your knowledge often means their existence. Good night, folks. Really, Dee, did you have to bring that up? What are you talking Are you talking about all the fart references? No, no, that was really good stuff. I'm talking about that joke in the beginning. <laughs> oh my gosh, Steph. That would have been such a really great joke. Anyway, I couldn't really tell you my skunk joke now, could I?
fine. Why not? Because it's dunk. La, 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 la.